Part of what I say at the beginning of each Sunday service is that as Unitarian Universalists, we draw wisdom from all the world's religions, balanced with the insights of modern science. And at least once a year, I'd like to invite us to take a step back and reflect on what is it exactly that that means? Sometimes we can take these things for granted, like Jen was talking about earlier. You know, I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to earn a Master of Divinity degree. Wait, wait, Master of Divinity? Uh, some wild stuff. Um, so let's start with two slides that can help us unpack at least one angle of what it means to talk about the world's religions and some of how they relate to one another, especially in terms of relative size. Give me one second and I'll share my screen with you. So on this graph, you'll notice that the world's religions are from left to right in alphabetical order. And we'll start with the elephant in the room, the largest world religion right now in this moment. And it's certainly changed over time, which in ways we don't have time, you know, the whole way Christianity grew, super uh, interesting and fascinating. We've talked about that before. But today there are about 2.2 billion Christians in the world, almost a third of all humans alive today, and about half of those Christians are Roman Catholic. Moving to the right in green, there are about 1.6 billion Muslims, and um, we don't have time to unpack this, but just a quick side note there, that 87% of those 1.6 billion Muslims are Sunni Muslims, so it's just a small minority that are Shiite, so that's a whole um, piece that could go further into there. Also note on the far right in purple is the growing number of 1.1 billion unaffiliated folks who aren't, you know, don't identify as any particular religion. In the middle in yellow, you'll see an also quite substantial 1 billion people that are part of the Hindu tradition. Uh, dropping out of the billions into the millions, we have about 500 million Buddhists, about 400 million indigenous or practitioners of folk traditions. On the right in light brown, you'll see 58 million is all the rest of them. <laughs> and notice that even though you sometimes think of a really long list of all the world's religions, you'll see that even when you take all the rest, it's really not that many. You can barely see that brown um, rectangle. So um, size, of course, isn't everything, but it, it does impact how widespread a religion is, how likely you are to encounter an adherent, a practitioner of that religion personally, for example. Um, so that 58 million, that includes 58 million Sikhs, mostly in India, 8 million Taoists, mostly in China, 5 million Baha'is, 4 million Jains, also mostly in India, also um, Shinto, Zoroastrians. Uh, the center in blue, you can again barely see, um, are about 14 million Jews. Uh, again, getting to back to why the Holocaust was so impactful, right? To have 6 million Jews, uh, you know, such a, such a deep tragedy on so many levels. Now, though, even though you can only barely see those 14 million Jews, let me just say in the spirit of um, self-disclosure of what we're all doing this morning, that you use would be 100% completely invisible on this chart, right? If you add up all the members of UU congregations, it's about a little under 200,000, right? Not billion, not million, a little under 200,000. Interestingly, um, they're about, on surveys, there are about 675,000 adults in America who 
actually identify as Unitarian on surveys, but we don't, they're not members of our congregation. We sometimes, so like three times as many people identify as UU on surveys as show up in our congregations on Sunday mornings. We sometimes lovingly refer to those folks as free range UUs. Uh, and, and sort of like um, Jews, we use um, punch above our weight class, if that's not a, um, too violent a metaphor to use. So, you know, we've been thinking about the U.S. presidency recently. You know, five of our nation's presidents uh, are you know, strongly associated with UU. So you know, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, there's kind of an asterisk on Jefferson. The Unitarians and the Episcopalians like to fight over him, uh, though he's also embarrassing in other levels. John Quincy Adams, Millard Fillmore, William Howard Taft. Abraham Lincoln, strongly influenced by Theodore Parker, the Unitarian minister. Barack Obama attended UU Sunday School as a child, though it was uh, not a UU. Um, another important factor to mention is that the numbers on this slide, they, they change over time. Um, so this is just one flash. So if we um, fast forward to the future, extrapolating demographic trends 30 years to about 2050, the change that stands out the most, and I'll flip back and forth, is that Islam is continuing on track to overtake Christianity. So going back to today, and you look forward, you can see the changes there. The current best guess by demographers is that Islam will become the world's largest religion maybe around 2070. Now let's consider these groups from a different angle. What does it mean when we put such a diverse array of practices and beliefs, all the forms of Buddhism, all the flavors of Christianity, all the types of indigenous, Islamic, and other religions, all under that one umbrella called religion? Like at that point, what does religion even mean? Again, Jen's sort of alluded to some of this earlier. Do we highlight the commonalities? If we do that, in what ways does that mask the important differences? The multifaceted complexity, the intense variety of the world's religions is the primary reason that the, world religion, the word religion has been notoriously difficult to define. So although it's important to stipulate that there is no simple, uncontested definition of religion, I've been studying the field of religion now for many decades at this point, and I will share with you the top five best definitions of religion, according to me, uh, that I've collected over the years. Um, so the first is that from a traditional Western academic perspective, religion has been defined as culturally patterned interactions with culturally postulated superhuman beings. So this is kind of emphasizing how religion really is a social construction. And I don't have time to unpack this right now, but it's, you know, real, it's interesting, for instance, how almost the same experience is interpreted as Hindu by Hindus by Christian, as Christian, by Christian. So it's like the theological lens we bring to our experience really influences how we, you know, as some of you may know that saying, we don't merely see the world as we are, uh, as it is, we see the world as we are, that, that we, we, things really are socially constructed. More generally, religion has been defined as an experience of the holy. If something is holy, that's in contrast to something being profane or ordinary. So it's something that's set apart from the from mundane pedestrian aspects of reality. And often these experiences are associated with the origins of a religion or something you know, that happened to the founder but that may or may not be able to be replicated. 
Another definition that focuses on the experience of religion is religion as an encounter with a mystery that is simultaneously terrifying and fascinating. Um, it's originally in the Latin, the mysterium tremendum et fascinans. One related metaphor of what, do we, what does that mean, terrifying and fascinating, is that religion is kind of like playing with fire. Fire can be terrifying and fascinating. It can be alluring. It can be a source of warmth. But it can be scary. It can burn you. A quite um, useful definition of how religion functions is that anything is religious if it becomes an ultimate concern. And here's how we can see things like how capitalism can come to function essentially as a religion. Shopping can become a religion, uh, et cetera. My favorite definition comes from my favorite religion scholar, Jeffrey Kripal, who defines religion as humanity's millennia-long encounter and struggle with the anomalous, the powerful, the really, really weird stuff that does not fit in, that does not make sense. Um, again, I've done whole sermons on what I'm about to show you, but to just say really briefly a few more major definitions of religion from a skeptical perspective, religion has been defined as an illness by Freud as a narcotic by Marx that distracts us from what really matters, you know, focusing on changing our material conditions, we get distracted by the spiritual, as a weakness by Nietzsche, as a projection by Feuerbach. To briefly dive into the word religion itself, there are two major etymologies, again, Jen mentioned this briefly, um, of the word's origins. The most popular etymology of religion traces its derivation from the Latin word relegare. You'll notice that A in the middle, related to the English word ligament, that religion re-ligaments, that it binds us together. And I appreciate the way that points us to the ways rituals and spiritual practices can really powerfully build community. The shadow side, as some recent documentaries have highlighted freshly, is that religion can also be used in that way, that ligament way. They can abuse and bind and control people in a, in a cultish way. And although I like that first etymology of religion, the second one is, I, I, would, argue, I would say, arguably the correct one. The, the ligament one is really attractive, but I, I think the ancient roots of religion actually go back to the Latin word religere with an E in the middle. It means to be careful, to be mindful. It's the sense of, I read the morning newspaper religiously. It's that sense of religion. Uh, this perspective uh, is especially helpful for understanding ancient religion, which tended to center around a careful performance of a ritual obligation. In contrast, we've come to see the Western world often thinks of religion in terms of like intellectual assent to beliefs of some inner sentiment of faith. You know, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, right? Like that was not what ancient religion, especially pagan religion, was about. So let me end my share for a second. So why does it matter how we define religion? Two reasons come particularly to mind. The first reason that religious definitions matter is that it invites us to consider what is it that we're doing as we gather and we light our chalice, the symbol of our UU living tradition. Each week when we kindle our chalice flame, both literally and metaphorically, we're playing with fire. And again, it can be alluring and beautiful and warm us in the warmth of community, but it can also burn us. It can get out of control. 
Many times we are held and supported and uplifted, even transformed by religious community or by religious experiences. Other time religion or religious community can harm or hurt us. A second reason that religious definitions matter is that they impact how we navigate religious controversies. Some of you may have been following the news about the recent five to four Supreme Court decision, Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn versus Cuomo, which sided with religious congregations seeking to defy public health regulations related to the COVID-19 pandemic, that it impinged on their free exercise of religion, allegedly. This case has been called one of the two most significant religious cases in the past 30 years and may prove to be one of the most important religious decisions in the court's history. It's an example of the implications of the newest Supreme Court justice, um, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, providing a crucial fifth vote. There's a whole lot to say about that decision, but I actually want to save that for next month. We're going to have a whole service focused on what does religious liberty mean, the First Amendment, uh, how they have been interpreted, how they might be best interpreted in a way that actually is fair for all and doesn't covertly um, actually support just some. But even just mentioning that court case is a good reminder that religion, especially religion in the public square, it very quickly takes us out of the shallows and into the deep end of the pool. That can be really fun to play around in. It can also be, again, really scary. Religion involves some of our highest values, our most transformative experiences, and can lead to some of our strongest um, disagreements. And as I've been reflecting this past week on how it is that we use, you use came to come together and have this regular practice of drawing wisdom from all the world's religions, as well as modern science, a story kept coming to mind from our own UU history of just such a controversy uh, that quickly got into the deep end of the pool. I'll share my screen again one more time to um, show a few slides. <clears throat> 